You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey guys, welcome to episode 35 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm coming at you with some garden planning tips that are going to be especially helpful for beginners. This is a little bit different from episode 27, where I talked about garden layout in terms of, you know, which plants to go where. This is a little bit more kind of starting from scratch. So maybe if you have always planted in containers before and this is your first effort at like an in-the-ground garden out in your yard, you bought a new house and you have a yard for once in your life, or maybe you have an allotment for the first time and you are kind of really excited but you're not really sure what to do with it. I'm going to be going over how to plan for that whole growing season in this episode. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you've never had a garden before and the idea of having a garden both terrifies and excites you, that is totally normal. It is such a fun idea and such a an amazing, satisfying idea to grow your own food or grow your own freshly cut flowers or grow your own herbs. It's, it's really an amazing thing to think about, but there's so much information out there that, that you haven't learned yet. And one of those biggest things is how on earth to go about planning a garden when there are so very many different options. So I'm going to be going over today how to even start that. And I'm going to start with why you need a plan for your garden. And I'm going to explain this by telling a story. Um, My story, which was when we moved into our house, I was really, really excited to have a yard, a big backyard, one that was big enough for a serious garden, quote unquote. By the way, all gardens are serious gardens. I know that now. But I, I wanted a garden that could help feed us on a pretty major level, but I, I did not have a plan. We closed on our house in the beginning of May, and I knew that I had to get some things into the ground immediately, that it was, you know, growing season. But by the time we managed to, like, do all of the closing on the house things and actually move in and make it to a garden center, it was early June, and there was not much left in terms of seedlings that would tolerate such a late planting. And as a result, my first garden was a pretty big letdown. So it's not crazy to start thinking about your next garden right now. In fact, I know a lot of gardeners, myself included, that start thinking about next year's garden like as soon as they put last year's garden to bed. I started thinking about this year's garden back in like November, maybe even a little earlier if I'm going to be totally honest with you. So it's not crazy to think about it this far ahead. It's actually very, very helpful because there's some basic things that you don't think about that have to be taken into account when it comes to garden planning. So with that, garden planning tip number one, you need to know your soil. If this is your first in-ground garden. Not everybody's dirt in their backyard is the same. Some of it is more like soil 
and some of it is really more like dirt. And if you're asking like, what's the difference? I thought they were the same thing. Dirt probably started its life as soil, but it has gotten to the point where it has no nutrient value, it has no microbes living in it, it has no organic matter, so it couldn't support any microbes anyway. Those microbes that often live in a kind of symbiotic relationship with our plants, dirt is is missing all of those things. It's practically dust, honestly, if you want to think about it that way. Soil, on the other hand, has all those lovely things, has organic matter, has living microbes in there that are working, churning away, breaking down all that organic matter, turning it into nutrients that your plants can take up and use. Now, there's three kind of main different types of soil though. There's sandy soil, there's clay soil, and there's loamy soil, and there's mixes of everything in between. And the more familiar you are with the soil that you're working with, the better off you're going to be. If you want kind of an in-depth explanation of what the different types of soil are and their pros and cons go all the way back to episode four which is called talking dirty so very clever of me and give that a listen because that's going to explain a lot more about the idea of the three different classifications of soil in depth but a good garden in general starts with good soil and whatever soil you have in your backyard if you're planning to grow in the ground It can be turned into good soil. It's just going to take some amendments, some time, some effort. And and that is essentially why you need to know your soil. You need to know your soil so that you understand what you're working with. You understand the hurdles that you're up against, the barriers that you're, you know, the struggles that you might have and how you might need to approach them to overcome them. So like I said, I have clay soil and there's a various number of amendments that I can add to my soil, things like gypsum. Um, I have another past episode on soil amendments that goes over all these different soil amendments and how they work. That's episode number 24. Again, if you want to get a deeper understanding of that, but it's just, these are things that you have to do in advance of planting, sometimes well in advance of planting. I think the bare minimum of applying for applying any soil amendment is two weeks before planting, but for several of them, you need to go even sooner than that. You need to work back even farther than that. So just start by knowing your soil. Garden planning tip number two is to know your zone. Now, I know I've talked about this in a previous episode. In fact, it was just a few episodes ago, episode 32, but you need to know your USDA hardiness zone. And your USDA hardiness zone is based on an average of when your last spring frost is and when your first fall frost is. And that determines what your USDA hardiness zone is. If you don't live in the US, if you live in the UK, you have your Royal Horticulture Society um, zones. But honestly, the USDA zones are, are often used across the world. The reason why that last frost and first frost are important is because most plants can't survive a frost. The water in those plant cells freezes And if you've ever stuck like a bottle of soda or a bottle of water in the freezer and it's like exploded, that's the same thing that happens to plant cells. When the water inside the plant cells freezes, the cell walls can't handle that pressure and they burst. 
That's why, you know, you'll come out after a frost and the plant will be all wilty. It's because it's lost all of its structure, right? Those really rigid plant cell walls have have burst. And so now the plant is just kind of like a deflated balloon, for lack of a, a better analogy. So if you live in like South Dakota and you try to plant a tomato seedling in mid-April, that's probably not going to work out. The next morning, you're probably going to find that your tomato seedlings have kicked the proverbial bucket. Um, So you really need to know when your hardiness zone is so that you know when you can plant things outside. Garden planning tip number three. Now this is where we start to get into the fun stuff, and that is what to grow. And I would advise you to grow what you would usually buy, especially when it comes to fruits and herbs and vegetables, especially if you're looking to save money by gardening. This is a key tip. It's astonishingly easy to forget to be logical and rational in the face of so many fun sounding varieties, especially when you flip through seed catalogs and everything looks so beautiful and colorful. And you're just like, oh my gosh, the name of that is so poetic. And really, the the people who name the varieties of of seeds that they come out with or vegetables that they that they breed, they're there's some artists out there, trust me, and it's all to get you to buy them. But I like to think about the produce that we regularly purchase at the grocery store. So we are always buying garlic, always, always, always. I go through a ton of garlic every year. We're always buying onions just as often. Spinach is a constant, winter squash, broccoli, cucumbers, strawberries that are always ridiculously expensive. Any kind of berry, honestly, unless it's the middle of summer is ridiculously expensive. So before you even crack open a seed catalog or start searching websites, make a list of things that you buy most often at the store. Do that first and then start looking for seeds and figuring out what varieties you wanna grow. It's gonna go a long way to saving you money and saving you space in the garden. Garden planning tip number four is grow what you'll eat. And this sounds at first blush a lot like the tip I just gave you, but it's a little different. Grow what you would buy at the grocery store, yes, but unless you have a root cellar and you're prepared to kind of create a whole bunch of storage solutions, grow only as much of it as you'll actually eat in a season. I have made this mistake. I feel like I make this mistake almost every year, especially if it's a new crop. Um, The first time I grew carrots, I go through a carrot phase maybe about once a year. It's usually in the summer when I want something cold and crunchy. I think I said that previously about celery too. And it's true. I really only crave those cool, crunchy things in the middle of summer. The rest of the year, I mean, if they're in my food, that's fine. I like them, but I don't crave them. So I ended up growing about 10 times more carrots than I actually could eat or incorporate into recipes. And this was before I knew a ton about food storage and all the different ways that I could store carrots for later in the season or later in the year, that I could chop them up and freeze them for soups and stews and things like that. And so a lot of them went to waste, I'm, I'm really sad to say. It happens to the best of us. And, you know, that that goes for just about anything that you can grow. So I would I would advise you when you are trying to plot out how many of a plant to 
plant, you know, just think about how much of that do you actually find yourself buying in a year? If you go through it really often, plant a lot of it. By no means do you have to sit and do like an inventory for a whole year and count them out and figure out, okay, I know I go through this many onions in a year. I'm going to plant exactly this many onions. You don't have to do that if you want to start a garden, but I would say give your best estimate. If you find yourself buying a bag of onions every month and that bag usually has 10 onions in it, guess what? That's times 12 is 120 onions. So if you want to feed yourself onion-wise for a whole year, you know, you need to plant 120 onions. So just kind of your best guess is going to be great for that. Garden planning tip number five is get help deciding what goes where. It's honestly a little unsettling how much I learn each year um, when it comes to gardening. And it just because I'm just blown away about how much I still don't know even after you know growing enough to feed my husband and I all of our produce for all of 2019 I still don't know everything I'm never gonna know everything no gardener knows everything and one thing that I keep learning every year is how big different plants get how tall they get, how wide they grow, how much they spread, which ones don't like being next to one another, otherwise known as companion planting. So I use a tool every single year to lay out my garden, and it's called the Old Farmer's Almanac Garden Planning Tool. If you go to almanac.com, and there's a tab across the top that says gardening, and if you hover over that under tools, the very first thing you'll see is the garden planner. I subscribe. It's a year-long subscription. I think it's about $20 a year, and it's well worth its money because I don't just use it to plan my initial garden. I use it to plan my succession planting, and I'm constantly kind of like rearranging and tweaking things throughout the year when things inevitably, as they always do, do not go as planned. Um, so for $20 for 12 months of use, it's an amazing tool, you guys. I mean, it tells you, you know, if you give it parameters of how big of a space is that you've got to grow in, um, it, it then tells you how much space do you need for this one broccoli plant? You drag that out to four broccoli plants. How much space does that use? How much space would it take to grow 15 tomato plants? This thing tells you, and it also tells you, you know, which plants are in the same family. If you click on kind of like the information for it, it'll tell you which things are great companions for it. I cannot sing its praises enough. I have subscribed to it now for, I think, four years, and I would really, really recommend it. Even if you're not a new gardener, I mean, even if you think you totally have the hang of it, this thing is a game changer. By the way, I am not getting paid to tell you this. This is not an ad where like the old farmer's almanac is like giving me money to to tell you to go subscribe to this gardening tool. That is how much I love it and how much I believe in it and how much I really, really think it'll help you because it helps me. Garden planning tip number six would be to create a fertilizing schedule. Good Lord. When I was a first-time gardener, I thought that plants would get everything that they needed from the soil, that I didn't have to do anything. But you know what? I don't feel that stupid anymore because, like, a lot of new gardeners think that, that they they just 
plants get everything they need from the soil and from the sun. That's what we're taught, right? That plants make their own food from sunlight. Well, yeah, that's true, but in the process, they take a lot of things up out of the soil in order to do that. Um, And so you really need to create a fertilizing schedule to put those nutrients that the plant keeps taking up and expending and digesting and using. You need to put those nutrients back in the soil so that the plant kind of like never exhausts its stores. So, you know, most root crops, herbs and greens, they don't need much fertilizing. They're not heavy feeders. And beans and peas, they don't need it at all because they have a symbiotic relationship with a special bacteria in the soil that allows them to use atmospheric nitrogen. But the rest of your plants in your garden, they don't have that ability. And especially the ones that are known as heavy feeders, the plants that set out lots of fruit or very large fruit, they need food throughout the growing season for best results. So this includes plants like tomato, corn, winter squash, melons, and they generally need fertilizing twice a season. They need fertilizing when they start flowering, when they're kind of gearing up to start reproducing, and then they need fertilizing in kind of mid-fruiting season. So like when they've started reproducing, they're laden with fruit, they've, chances are they have used up a lot of resources in the soil, and they need more. It's kind of like if you think about a pregnant lady, you know, before you get pregnant, you want to make sure that your nutrients are all good. You stop drinking caffeine, sugary sodas, and you load up on all the fruits and vegetables and all the nutrients that are good for you. Okay, so that's what we're doing like right when the plants are getting ready to flower, which means that they're about to start reproducing. And then that second feeding that we're giving them is when they're kind of like, if you want to think about it as the plants being pregnant, you know, we're giving them food because they're, they're growing their plant babies. Um, they're reproducing and they need more food because they're, it's not just them that they're supporting. They're supporting fruit as well that you're going to go and, you know, pick later. Um, don't take that that analogy any further, by the way, (laughs) that just, that's terrible. Um, But yeah, so if you think about it that way, it's really, it makes a lot of sense that you need to fertilize your plants. And it's really easy to forget to fertilize your plants with everything that happens in life. Because on a certain level, aside from watering, they do kind of start to take care of themselves. And so it can be really easy to forget to fertilize them. So When you are planting your garden, um, in a few episodes ago, I talked about kind of using a calendar to plot out your garden and help you plan right when to fertilize on that same calendar. And that's going to make it the easiest to remember. And garden planning tip number seven, if you didn't listen to that previous episode, this last tip is to make a calendar. Like I said, you know, if you listened to episode number 32, then you already know this tip, but I use a calendar. I always get a free wall and calendar from our insurance agency every year. And I, the only thing I use it for is for my gardening. I write down when I'm going to start seeds indoors. I write down when I'm going to transplant the resulting seedlings outdoors. And I write down when to fertilize my plants. It just helps me keep things kind of like straight. I know that a lot of us use Google Calendar or we use a calendar app on our phones, but sometimes my hands are 
dirty from from doing things and I don't want to fiddle with my phone um, and it's nice to just have this free wall calendar that I can get all grubby and it can sit down next to my seed starting stuff or I can take it out to the garden to help me keep track of stuff it just helps you remember and and it's something that you know it's not it's not a several hundred dollar piece of technology you know that you have to worry about getting dirty or wet or muddy or anything like that so those are my tips for garden planning for beginners especially if you are starting a new garden for the first time this year i'm super excited for you it's so magical and i don't mean that in like a sarcastic way growing plants is one of the few things in life to me um, that remains year after year utterly magical to me. Every time it happens, I'm just in awe. Um, So if you are about to experience that for the first time, I'm super jealous because it's amazing. Um, If you need more resources, please, please, please visit my blog at bnbasil.com. I have got a whole bunch of blog posts for seed starting, a whole bunch of blog posts for beginning gardeners, just a lot of different things. And I have tried to sort of create content pillars so that, you know, if you click on one of those posts and you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you're going to find a whole laundry list of posts that you might be interested in and might help you out. So again, beandbasil.com for pictures, more information, all that kind of good stuff. Otherwise, you guys, thank you so very much for listening. I'm so excited that we are on this journey of the next growing season together. In my next episode, I'm really excited because I'm actually going to start talking about specific growing tips for certain types of vegetables. And next episode, I will be talking about broccoli. So my broccoli growing tips, if you're growing broccoli for the first year, or if you've tried growing broccoli before and results haven't been that great, because it's not the easiest plant, but broccoli is my favorite vegetable. So I put up with its kind of diva drama queen ways and I grow it anyway. So I'm going to be sharing all my tips for growing broccoli in the next episode. Until then, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.